0: Well, good morning. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6. If you're just joining us, we started a series last week. Uh, we're looking at the Lord's Prayer. So typically the way we go in sermons here is we work our way through passages of Scripture, oftentimes whole books of the Bible, just kind of one segment after another, because we believe it's all inspired by God and is useful and helpful and to be treasured. So that's why we do that. This series is a little different because we're working with such a small portion of scripture. We're taking it just a phrase at a time. So we're really trying to to dig down deep and unpack each line out of this, this prayer that my guess is all of us here have at least heard throughout our lifetime. Whether you've been in church or not, we're all familiar with this. And so we want to say, okay, we know the words, What is it saying? And what are we saying when we pray it? So we're looking at that in this series. And so I'm going to read this from Matthew chapter 6. And today we're actually just going to focus in on Hallowed be your name. But hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 6. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done, On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this morning it is fitting that we come to this portion of Scripture on this day, because What better day of the year to talk about hallowed be your name than on Halloween? Maybe you can correct me, but I thought, I'm pretty sure those are the only two contexts in normal, everyday English language that we use the word hallow. So maybe there's others that I'm just not aware of. I thought, man, that's significant. So one of my hopes... I didn't plan that by the way but one of my hopes is now that we're going to foster a link so that every Halloween your mind goes to Lord's Prayer. How you hear Halloween you think hallowed be your name. So we're, we're trying to create new links in your brain. So we're looking at that phrase today and last week we began our study by looking at the address. Who it is we pray to. And we saw that The incredible news is that the God that we pray to is the God who has adopted us, who has made us his children, so that when we pray, it is our Father to whom we come. And this Father we saw is not merely my Father, he's our Father. This truth that we are his family, and that when Jesus taught us to pray, he taught us to pray For our family and as a family. So we say, Our Father. We saw that not only is our Father kind and wants to help us, He's also King and able to help us. He is our Father who art in heaven, which means that He rules and reigns over all things. He is good and He is great. As a Christian, when we come to God in prayer, We come to our Sovereign and Loving Father. That's what we saw last week. Now the rest of the prayer, as I mentioned I think last week, is divided up into two groups of six requests or petitions. The first three have to do with God and His glory. And the second three have to do with us and our needs. So you can even see it just at a glance. You see your, your, your. Then there's a switch. Us, us, us. So it's very evident that there's a transition. And this, this setup is actually similar to the Ten Commandments, right? Ten Commandments divide into two groups of commandments. The first four have to do with how we are called to love God. And the second six, how we are called to love our neighbor. So two groups. First one deals with God, second with us. So what that means, what we're meant to see both in the commandments and in our prayers, is that God comes first. Like, it's not a haphazard order where God just drew it out of a hat and said, number one will be? He said, no, you need to know God comes first, then us. And that's true both in our duty, in the Ten Commandments, and in our desires, the Lord's Prayer. He is preeminent. He has a place of honor in the way we are to live and in the way we are to pray. So this morning, we're looking at just that very first request in the prayer. So when our Lord Jesus taught us to pray, what was the first and greatest thing he said we should desire and ask for? He could have started anywhere, right? He knows there's more than one thing we need to ask for. And so it's not haphazard that the first thing Jesus says is this. So what, what is it? What would the Son of God say above all else? Ask for this. After we acknowledge who God is, what should be the first words out of our mouths? And he says, Hallowed be your name. Now in saying it that way, that's not how we normally talk. So it it can be confusing perhaps at first whether that's a statement or a request. Like you may have grown up thinking that it's actually just stating a fact. Our Father in heaven has a name that is hallowed. While it's true, that's not what this is saying. This is not merely a statement of fact. It's something we're asking God to do. We're saying, Father, let your name be hallowed. And that's the first thing we have to see, that when we're praying this, what we're saying is, God, do that. Hallow your name. So this morning, what I want to do is, as we unpack this first request, is just ask three questions. It's not clever or creative. It's just three questions. And it's, What do we mean by God's name? What do we mean by hallowed? And what is it that we're asking God to do when we say hallowed be your name? So what is God's name? What does hallowed mean? And what are we asking God to do? So first, what do we mean when we say hallowed be your name? What is God's name? Now on one hand, the Bible does tell us God's name. In the Old Testament, he reveals himself as Yahweh. I am who I am. So we know that. But when the Bible talks about God's name, it's not mainly talking about what he's called. See, when we think of names, we tend to think of what we're called. A name is a way to identify someone. So if I meet someone out on the street and they say, Hey, I met someone from your church. I think, okay, I don't know who that is. Which someone? They say, oh, it was Phil. I think, oh, okay, now I know which someone we're talking about. You've identified who it is. But when the Bible speaks of God's name, it's not dealing mainly with identification. It's dealing mainly with reputation. It's not just about what he's called, but about what he's like. How he's known. It's like when we might use the phrase talking about someone in our community. Like, particularly if you're from a small town, like, You might say, so and so, they have a really good name in the community. What do we mean when we say that? We're talking about what people know about that person. What do they think of them? The fact that people respect them. That's why we say they have a good name, because they're respected. They have a good reputation and are known by their character. Their name means something to people. And when the Bible talks about God's name, it's talking about something closer to that. God's name is all that he is and all that he has revealed himself to be. It's his reputation, his fame, his honor. It's him. So when we sang earlier, blessed be the name of the Lord, we're not just saying like, blessed be this thing that God is called. We're saying, blessed be the Lord. But we're saying the name of the Lord because that's all that he's revealed himself to be. Okay? So now one of the things that becomes abundantly clear from the Bible, is that God loves his name. He loves it. He cares deeply about his honor and his fame. Psalm 138, 2, in fact, says, For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. There's, There's everything else, and then there's God's name and his word. So that's how much God cares about it. God's desire is that the world would know and worship his name, that we would see and hear and enjoy how incredible he is. In fact, this passion for the glory of his name is why God does everything. And I'm not overstating it. I mean everything. In fact, let me take you on a tour of what God does for his name and his glory. Now, I know some of these, you may be familiar with the concept. That's great. Some of these texts you may be familiar with. Wonderful. But what I'm inviting you to do this morning is to hear afresh and let, let God's word radically reorient you to how much God loves his name. All right? Here we go. First question, why did God create us? The Bible tells us he created us for his glory. Isaiah 43:7 says, Everyone who is called by my name... Whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So in other words, that's our baseline, where we're starting with. Friends, this is why you exist. Your life has a purpose, and it's for God's name. It's for the glory of His name. Well, why did God choose a particular people to be His treasured possession? Why choose this group of people called Israel and make them into His people? Jeremiah 13:11. I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory. Or 2 Samuel seven twenty three says, And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people Whom you redeemed from yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. So the Bible's saying, look, there's a God and he, He made all of us for His glory. And then He chooses a people from that, says, I'm going to put my name on them. And what I do for them and in them and through them, that's going to just make a name for myself. Watch what I do with these people. Well, when this people were in slavery, why did God raise up Pharaoh to oppose His purposes? Exodus 9.16. God says to Pharaoh, But for this purpose I have raised you up, to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. See, we forget that like the story didn't have to go the way it did, right? God's people are in danger, they're in Egypt. God's strong enough, he could have just showed up and said, This is not happening, Pharaoh. You're dead, they're going. Why ten Plagues one after another after another. Pharaoh's like, nope, not yet. Nope, not yet. God says, Here's why, here's why I put you in this spot, Pharaoh, so that my name will be proclaimed in all the earth. I'm gonna show my signs and my wonders, and you and all the world will see how great I am. So now he's he's rescued them, he's got his people out. Now they're stuck at the Red Sea, though. Psalm one oh six eight tells us Why God rescues them yet again. He already rescued them out of Egypt. Now they're at the Red Sea. Why did God rescue them? It says, Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea, at the Red Sea. So he's saying, look, they got there, they panicked. Even though they'd just been delivered through signs and wonders, they're at the Red Sea saying, I don't know what God's going to do. We are stuck, we are trapped, not getting out of this yet he saved them for his namesake that he might make known his mighty power. So again, God delivers them. He raises up this enemy and says, go ahead, try to stop me. The more you try to stop me, the more it's going to make my name great. Now he gets them out. They get there. They're quaking in their boots saying, I don't know if God can do this. He says, I'm going to save you again so that people can see my name is great. So he goes on though. See, we love the fact that God is our shepherd and guides us, right? Why does he do that? Psalm 23.3, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Or Psalm 31.3, for your namesake, you lead me and guide me. So it's not just for our good that God does all this leading and guiding us. He says, I do it for my namesake. We saw earlier that God has dealt with our sins not because we're deserving, but for the sake of his glory. Earlier, we read Psalm 25, Pardon my guilt, God, for it is great. Do it for your name's sake. To which God responds in Isaiah 43, 25, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. We pray, God, do this. Please forgive us for the sake of your name. And he says, I do it, and I do it for the sake of my name. He holds back his anger, even though we fully deserve it for our sins. Isaiah 48, 9. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. When we're in danger and God comes to our rescue, what is that fueling his mercy and compassion? If you're not guessing by now, you're just not paying attention. So, Psalm 79, 9. They say, Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. And then they add, why should the nation say, where is their God? And I love this one. I want to pause there for a second because this psalm shows us how to pray. Because for the psalmist, he's saying, God, we need your help. We are in deep trouble. So help us for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. Do it, God. Do it, God. But he doesn't just say, Like, we pray, God, if you don't do this, here's what's going to happen to me. But did you catch that's not where he goes? He says, God, help me, help me. Because if you don't help us, they're going to say, where is their God? In other words, your name's not going to be hallowed. Your name is going to be drugged through the mud. They're going to say, that's what their God can do? When his people's in a jam, he can't even get them out of it? He says, no, God, that is... It's the worst case scenario for me, God. It's not that I would perish, but that the nations would think little of my God. In fact, this is how God's people pray all over the Bible. Listen, I'm just going to give you two more. Psalm 143, 11, For your namesake, O Lord, preserve my life. Not so that I don't die, God, preserve my life. He says, for your namesake, show them how trustworthy and good and powerful you are. Daniel 9:19 9, says, "O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name." In other words, if you don't save your city and your people, it's going to reflect badly on your name. And God, that is the last thing we want to see happen. So just to be clear, Does God show us all this kindness that we've been talking about because we're so deserving? Ezekiel 20, verse 44. And you shall know that I am Yahweh, it's my name, when I deal with you for my name's sake, not according to your evil ways, nor according to corrupt deeds O house of Israel, declares the Lord God. He says, I treat you the way I treat you in spite of all the things you've done wrong. And I do it for my name's sake. So friends, what I want you to be so confident in is that our God loves his name and does everything for the sake of his name, for his fame, for his honor, and his glory, so that when we talk about God's name, this is what we're talking about. His reputation, his praise, his renown. You say, well, what's the payoff there? It's that so that if we're asking him to do something for the sake of his name, or if we pray like them to say, God, do this for the sake of your name, you better believe he's he's all ears we have confidence that he will hear and answer because he's, he loves to do things for the sake of his name. Now, if that's what God's name is, what does it mean for that name to be hallowed? Like I said, we don't use the word hallow a lot. Literally, it means to treat it as holy, to treat something as holy, to regard it as sacred, revered, honored. When something is hallowed, we we see it differently than everything else and in a category all by itself. When we hallow something, we give it the place of highest priority and of utmost value. And here's the thing that we need to understand. and We might think, hallow? Man, I I never heard that word and nobody does that. We all hallow something. You may never have heard the word in your life, but you do it. We all hallow something because there's something in our lives that we see as most important, most glorious, most worthy of worship. In fact, we can't help but hallow something because it's what we were made to do. We are hallowers. You've probably never been called that, but you are a hallower. We were created to glorify God. We were made to hallow his name But the great problem of mankind, there's a lot of problems. When you want to get down to the root, the great problem of mankind is that we've all chosen to hallow something else. Romans 1 says, although they knew God, they know that he's out there, they know what he's like, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. In other words, we stopped hallowing God and we began to hallow other things. We couldn't stop hallowing because that's what it means to be human. Like, that's what humans do. But we stopped hallowing what we were made to hallow. And we started hallowing something else. And while the things that we all hallow, my guess is we all have our own Little idols in this room. Different things that we hallow. They might be different. But deep down, the sin that we all share in common is really the same. And nowhere is our chief sin seen as clearly as in Genesis 11. story about the Tower of Babel. There, even though God had called the people to fill the earth. Why? So that his name would be hallowed everywhere. The people had other plans. Listen to what they decide to do. Genesis eleven four. 4. Then they said, Come, let's build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. God says, I made you. I, I made you in my image to show what I'm like, to hallow my name so that as you spread out all over the world, my name is spread out and it's hallowed in every nook and cranny. And they say, we got a better idea. What if we all get together and put our combined intellect and ingenuity and powers and we build something that shows how great we are? That way everybody can see, wow, look what they accomplished. Look how smart they are and how many cool tools they came up with. And look at that tower. They did that. Let's make ourselves a name. Even though we were made to hallow God's name, don't we seek to make a name for ourselves? Instead of our primary desire and goal being the glory of God's name, our lives revolve around shaping what other people think about us. That's why we do what we do so often. We want people to, to know us. We want to be known. We want to be loved. We want to be admired and respected and cherished and if we're honest, even fear We want people to say like, oh wow, you don't mess with them. Like, they are powerful. They have it together. Like, they, they have a name. So we do everything we can to hallow our names. We talk about ourselves and our accomplishments. We trust ourselves. We promote ourselves. We might not build towers like Genesis 11. I haven't seen any in the neighborhood. But we do build careers and families, and investment portfolios, and lifestyles that all serve the purpose of making a name for me. And we're all guilty of this. We're all guilty of hallowing our own names while being indifferent to the fame of God's name. If you're not sure if you are, think about the difference between how you feel when someone when you hear a comment someone makes against your name, think of the, think of the, the hurt or the anger, just to like, you can't believe they said that, they said you were that kind of person? What? And then think about how much you feel insulted when people speak that way about God's name, when they besmirch his character, when they are indifferent to him, when they belittle him. That gap reveals, ooh, I care far more what people say about my name than what they say about his the problem with this is remember how god loves his name and that's why he does everything so our disregard our utter ignoring and just resisting of his name had us running headlong toward the judgment we deserve for our sin we were all guilty and unable to rescue ourselves You can't, as I said earlier, the good news of the Reformation was we realized we can't work ourselves out of it. We can't pay enough money. You can't volunteer enough. You can't clean up your act enough. So what is our only hope? Our only hope is that God would once again act for the sake of his name. And that's just what God promised to do in the book of Ezekiel. Why don't you go ahead and turn there? Because this one's going to be a longer quote. And it's easier if you follow along. We'll turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. I'm going to start, I believe it's verse 22. God is talking to his people here who had had gone. He'd scattered them as judgment. And yet everywhere they went, They ended up dishonoring his name, profaning his name because people said, those are God's people and and that's how they live. So God's reputation was taking a hit. But listen to what he says to that kind of people in Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am Yahweh. They will know my name, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. So pause. Just hear what God's saying. He says, I'm about to do something. And I'm not doing it because of how awesome you guys are. Like, you guys have my name and you've made a royal mess of it. Like, you have not acted in line with my will. You have not obeyed my law. You have dishonored me. That's not why I'm about to do this. And yet, I am going to do you good. And I'm going to do it for the sake of my name. In fact, listen to what he's going to do for the sake of his name. Pick it up there. What's God going to do for his name? I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I'll sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. This is stunning. God promises these people, remember who he's talking to, people who had profaned his name by their sin. Instead of making much of his name, they had belittled it through the way they live. But he doesn't just say, that's it, you're done, and reject them. He doesn't wipe them out. And he could have. Instead, he says, no. Here's what I'm going to do for you sinful people. I'm going to gather you. I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to make you clean. All the stuff that, that has dirtied you and my name, cleaning it. All your idols, these other things that you've hallowed, I'm going to get rid of those. Instead, I'm going to give you a new heart. A new heart that wants not to hallow some cheap imitation, but that wants to hallow me and my name, to walk in my statutes. I'm going to give my spirit to you so that he will help you hallow my name. And therefore, you will be my people and I will be your God. So that's an amazing promise. That's what we look for. That's what the whole Old Testament is tipping us towards, saying that's what we need. Like we've shown throughout the whole Old Testament, we won't hallow your name, God. Left to ourselves, we find other imitations to hallow. But God says, I'll do it. I'll take care of this. And so we're, the whole Old Testament is tipping and leaning, saying, when, when, when? And then, then comes Jesus. And when Jesus came, he said in John 5, I have come in my Father's name. And in John 10, he says, the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. In other words, he says, I've come in that name for that name. I've come to repair the dishonor done to the name of God. I've come to hallow his name. And so Jesus comes and he lives a life of perfectly hallowing God's name. The glory of God's name was the motivating force in all that he did. So we shouldn't be surprised that as he faces the cross, as his time on earth is drawing to a close, Jesus prays this in John 12. He says, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. He says, this is why I came. Like, don't, I don't, I'm not going to ask you to get out of this, God. This is why you sent me and why I came. So, Father, hallow your name. Jesus knew this is what he'd come for, to hallow God's name and die for sinners who had treated it with such disdain and contempt. In fact, when Jesus goes on a few chapters later to pray his high priestly prayer, In John 17, he sums up his work in the world in two ways. In his prayer, he says to the Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And I manifested your name to the people who you gave me out of the world. I glorified you, Father. What do I mean? I manifested your name to them. I showed what it's like. I showed how great it was. I glorified you and manifested it. And then he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Jesus went to the cross with the chief desire being the honor of the Father's name. Right? I mean, he's right before the cross and he's praying, Father, not my will but yours be done. And he's saying, I came for this reason, Father. Give me the strength. Help me now as I go to do this thing that's going to bring glory to me so that I can bring glory to you. And through his life, his death, his resurrection and ascension, Jesus hallowed God's name by showing how great God truly is. In Jesus, we see how gracious and merciful God is. How powerful he is to overcome sin and death. We see how just and righteous he is to punish sin. How loving he is to provide us a savior and welcome us into his family. How wise he is to work all things together according to the counsel of his will and for our good. And we see how faithful he is to keep all his promises. Jesus shows us how great God's name truly is. More than anyone ever, Jesus hallowed God's name. Friends, this is our hope. That Jesus took our place As he paid for all our indifference, all our opposition, all our apathy toward his name. All the times when we just don't even give a thought to how our lives, our words, our actions, our desires, how they reflect on his name. Jesus died for those. By his blood we are forgiven for every time we hallow our own name instead of his. Every time we live for our glory instead of God's. And because, there's, there's a story going on here. I hope you see that. Because Jesus hallowed God's name through the cross, what did the Father do? How did he respond? Well, Philippians 2 tells us. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus did what the Father asked. And the Father did what Jesus asked. He said, Father, glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. So he says, you've got the name. I give you the name above every name. And so when we declare that name, when we worship that name, when we profess the name, he says what? It's to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is how we hallow the name of God. So how can, this, how can this forgiveness and freedom be ours? So that we've been reading about. Well, the Bible tells us, guess what? That everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you see how this is shot through with God's name? Now, what does that mean, to to call on the name of the Lord? It doesn't just mean to say it. It doesn't say, call out the name of the Lord. It means, to call on the name of the Lord means to cry out to him based on who you know him to be. You call on him as merciful and gracious. You call on him as patient and kind, as good and loving, as forgiving and forbearing. You call on him as holy and righteous. You don't just know his reputation intellectually. Like, oh, I know what God is like. You put all your trust and your hope in him being who he says he is. You repent of living for your own name and you call on his in faith. And when we do call on his name, God promised he will save us. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not only that, he will change us. He will make us his own and he will never let us go. Listen to this assurance, God speaks to His people in First Samuel 12. "This is beautiful. Samuel said to the people, "Do not be afraid. you have done all this evil." He's telling them like, "You're as bad as you think you are, like I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Yet, do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart, and do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver for they are empty." for the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. He's saying no matter how bad it's gotten, no matter how far off the path you've wandered, he says God will not let you go and he's not gonna do it because his namesake. He's put his name on you. If you were in Christ, you bear the name of God. And so for him to just let you go and not care would not only be unkind and unloving, it would be a dishonor to his name. And God will not share his glory with another. He will not let his name be dishonored. So we have hope that God, you're not going to let me go because of your namesake. I belong to you and it would reflect poorly on you to let me go. So this gives us confidence that he will hold us fast. So finally, that brings us to one last question. When we ask God to hallow his name, what exactly are we asking God to do? When we pray that, when we say, hallowed be your name, what we're asking God to do is, God, show how great and how glorious you are. Make a name for yourself. Get honor and fame as more and more people see and experience how glorious you are, God. Cause your name to be rightly reverenced and worshiped Both by us who love his name and by those who don't know it or honor it. We want the name of God and the name of Jesus exalted and known and loved and treasured everywhere by everyone. The passion of God's people is found in Isaiah 26 8, where it says, Your name and remembrance are the desire of our souls. Is that your desire? That's what God's people say is, God, your name and your remembrance, that people know you. That's the desire of our souls. That's what we're asking for when we say, hallowed be your name. We want to see God put in a place of highest importance and honor in our own hearts and in the hearts of others. We want him to be famous and celebrated and esteemed and cherished. So how do we apply this? Well, first and foremost, we pray. We pray that. We ask God to make this a reality in us. Hallow your name is not just something we want to do out there. It's say, God, hallow your name here. Oh, give me this love for you, this vision of you. And God, do it around all around me. Do it around the people in my church. Do it in the people in my neighborhood. And God, do it in the world. We want to see your name hallowed every corner of the world. But beyond praying, we should also ask, how can we hallow God's name in our lives? Because it does no good to pray, hallowed be your name, walk out the door, and then live lives that dishonor God's name. So how do we hallow God's name? Let me close by giving you five super quick ways. Number one, We honor, we hallow God's name by professing His name. Professing. In other words, we honor it by bearing His name as His people. When God saves us from our sin, we show and tell what He's done for us by being baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We take God's name upon us and we say that He is now our God and we belong to Him. We are now His adopted children. And we join a local church where we bear his name with other brothers and sisters. That's part of how we profess him. So that through baptism and membership, we declare to the world that Jesus is our king and God is our father. We belong to him. Just like it would honor a man that a woman would want to take his name on in marriage, we honor God's name by wanting to take it for our own. We hallow his name by professing it as his people. Number two, we hallow God's name by loving and prizing his name. We profess it and we prize it. Psalm 119.32 says, Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. That's what God's people do. And when we love God's name, what it means is we prize it above all things. More than anything else, we want God to be made much of and worshipped. That is our highest aim in life is not to be as successful in the world's eyes, not to be as famous or as wealthy or as respected. We say, God, we want you to be made much of. And one way we prize his name is by showing that we love it even when things are hard. Sometimes when things get hard, that's when our real loves and desires come out. Because we don't have the thing we most want. And it becomes very evident But what we show, when we prize God's name, even when things are hard, we say things like, even when the road's marked with suffering, where there's pain in the offering, we say, blessed be the name of the Lord. And when we do that, what we are declaring is that we prize his name more than our comfort. We prize his name more than our ease. We're not concerned like, Lord, you can have everything else as long as you are magnified. So we praise we prize his name, we profess his name, and third, we praise his name. Psalm 113.3 says, From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. In other words, God's name is worthy. That's a really important word, worthy. Not just like, oh, something Christians do. It's, like, it's what we ought to do because it's deserving. It's worthy to be praised everywhere by everyone at all times. And we praise God's name by telling of his goodness toward us. Psalm 96 says, Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. So when we sing songs together like we're doing this morning, or when we talk to each other after the service or over coffee and talk about how great our God is and what he's up to in our lives, or when we tell our neighbors who don't know him, can I tell you how good and gracious my God is? When we're talking about him, we are hallowing his name. Fourth, we trust his name. We trust his name. Psalm 910 says, Those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Psalm 33 says, For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Trusting in God's name hallows it because it shows that he is worthy of our trust. When we say no matter what's going on, we trust in the name of our God. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. It shows that he's a God who keeps his promises, and he's never going to forsake us. Trusting him shows that he's a God who will always do what is best for us and is able to provide all we need. It shows that his name is reliable. And fifth, fifth way we hallow God's name is by obeying him. By obeying him and doing that which he calls us to do. Matthew 5, 16 says, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In other words, when we live in obedience and do the things God's called us to do, when we do those good works, it shows that God is worthy of our obedience and it shows that his ways are best. The world watches the way we live. and When others see us living the way God commands they give glory to our Father in heaven. In other words, his name will be hallowed. So friends, we should both live for God's name to be hallowed and pray for God's name to be hallowed. The question I just want you to continually ask yourself is, why is this the first thing Jesus tells us we should pray for? And hopefully you see it's because the glory of God's name is meant to be the deepest desire of our hearts we want above all things for the world to see and celebrate how great is our god would you pray with me father we ask that you would do this lord make this a reality in us and make it a reality in the world around us make your name great show us who you are lord show off your mercy and your grace in our lives. Show off your kindness and your power or cause us to truly hallow your name, to regard it as the thing of utmost value in our lives Or we acknowledge we put so many other things in that slot. Would you be gracious and help us to take them out today? Would you help us to repent of hallowing other things Help us to repent of hallowing our own name, of working so hard and thinking so often of what we can do so that people will think well of us. Instead, Lord, may our burning desire be that people think well of you, think rightly of you, and worship you rightly. God, help us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.